Before there were Joy-Cons, before there were Wiimotes, there's a whole lot of other crap that Nintendo used to release. Today on... Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Press B to Cancel, a retro game podcast for your ear holes. I am Sick Jake, this week's co-host, but not alone. No, sir. I am joined by my friend, Werewolf. How you doing, sir? Pretty good. How about yourself? Hey, can't complain. I'm actually really excited to talk about uh, today's episode. We're going to be looking at 16-bit accessories, right? We were talking a little bit about the show, 16-bit accessories, but really, we're talking about Super Nintendo and Genesis, you know, peripherals and add-ons and stuff. Because I, I think we, we said <laughs> Tech Turbo Graphics doesn't count. <laughs> Turbo Graphics is technically, it, it, like, I think that's more 8-bit than 16-bit. I know it says Turbo Graphics 16, <laughs> but pretty sure it was two 8-bit processors is what happened. They were doing Jaguar yeah, math so. there. <laughs> and, like, honestly, I don't know, outside of the TG16 CD add-on, I don't know what else qualifies for them. I, I just don't think of them as an accessory-based system, right? Not like Nintendo and Genesis were doing at the time. Yeah, the only accessory I can think of for that is the, the multi-tap that you absolutely needed to play any more than one player. Oh, right. Yeah, that's true, because uh, Keith's Courage, I think it was a five-player game, if I'm not wrong, and you, you need to multi-tap for that Not Keith's Courage. Ordine was. Was it? Yes. What was it then? Not Keith Kerr's. There's like some kind of five-player dungeon crawling game, if I remember, that used one. Mm, I'm not familiar with that, but I only had four games for my TurboGrafx. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. But anyway, it doesn't count. <laughs> it's an 8-bit machine. Yes. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's okay. So we're going to look at accessories for both you know, SNES and Sega Genesis and go from there. And there's actually, researching this episode, more than I thought, or at least more than I remember being for those systems. So let's be good. <laughs> uh, what do you want to start with first? Well, let me uh, check my notes here. The first thing that comes to mind for me when I think of 16-bit accessories, honestly, for me, Super Scope. Okay. That's the first, and I never had one. I borrowed one once, but I never had one. Somehow, at some point, and it's not from the one I borrowed because I returned all of that, I happened upon one years later in my stuff. I just, all I had was the receiver for the Super Scope. I didn't actually have the scope. <laughs> So that, we got to talk about this too because the Super Scope needed like six AA batteries or something ridiculous. Yes. And I, for years, I never understood why because the Zapper, of course, didn't need any batteries. I mean, yes, it was yeah. plugged in, but like, what does this thing need batteries for if it's just a it's just a remote? Why does it need six? But I guess it is an IR based shooter light gun thing. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. I didn't really tell, I didn't realize the purpose of the batteries. I guess. So. <laughs> For those who don't recall, this was just a wireless. This is just a, a light gun. That's all it is. It's just yeah, super fancy looking. One. It's got the little <laughs> scope and it came with the, the Super Scope 6 games. Honestly, this <laughs> I looked into it. This game was only supported by a dozen games. That's more than I thought, actually, because when I'm thinking Super Scope games, it's the pack-in, Yoshi Safari, and the robot one. Yeah, Battle <laughs> That's Clash. the only ones I know of. Battle Clash, yeah, exactly. What else was there that supported this thing? I believe there was Yoshi Safari. Yeah. There was another one that I thought was kind of funny. I looked into this. I, I, I went down a rabbit hole on this one. 
And I found it was supported by a racing game called Lamborghini American Challenge. A Lamborghini, a driving game. A driving game for, supports for Superscope. <laughs> so, like, not the drive. <laughs> there's two ways to play with the Superscope. There's single player or two player. If you play okay. single player, you use the scope. The game drives itself with AI. And you're shooting the other racers to try and get in the lead. So it turns it into like semi F zero kind of thing. It's very bizarre. The game yeah. looks like rad racer or uh, top gear, that sort of thing. Okay. So it's, it's, it's not road blasters by any means. It's literally a Lamborghini licensed racing game, but so it's a driving game, but with a super scope, you can also turn into like a racing shooter hybrid game. Right. So you're shooting the cars up ahead to work your right. way up in front. So if you don't have a scope, is it still a driving shooting game or just a straight driving game? Just straight driving game. That's <laughs> that makes no sense. That's bizarre. So, yeah, like if for two player, one person is driving and one person is shooting. Right. So <laughs> I mean, just the value you get with this accessory. <laughs> so many games to choose from. <laughs> How did that happen? But we never got a Mad Max game in that vein on the Super Nintendo. <laughs> That's yeah. what I wanted. You imagine yeah. that that totally actually would have been game. rad. That would have been a great thing for Nintendo <laughs> to get behind. Look, Mad Max driving game. Boom. Sell all the things. Just add in, yeah. add in some Tina Turner and you got a game, man. Seriously. Right? That's so weird. Take it. It's like taking. Look, we got this baseball game. But if you plug in a super scope, you could shoot the other players. <laughs> just, it's just so random. <laughs> what a bizarre concept. So, okay. So, Yoshi Safari, Battle Clash, a Lamborghini racing game. That's four of the dozen that we got. <laughs> um, I was think there anything else? Terminator 2 is one of them that supported it. Okay. Um, that's good. What was... Did Area 50... Not Area 51. Um, what was that? Aerosmith arcade game. Did that support it? Oh, Revolution X? Was yeah, that on Revolution the SNES? X. No. Revolution X was on the SNES because in really? my research, it's supported by the mouse. The, <laughs> wow. <laughs> we'll get to the mouse later because that's interesting. I'm just looking at my mind palace here about Super Scope games because now I didn't realize it was 12 games. That's, that's a lot. I'm glad because the problem with accessories, and this goes for both systems. Is you're always leery of buying an accessory that may only have support for like three games, right? It's always frustrating. Yeah. So it was supported by a game called Bazooka Blitzkrieg, which has no Wikipedia entry, apparently. The Hunt for <laughs> Red classic. October, which was just bonus games for that one. Lemmings okay. 2. <laughs> so I, Whoa, apparently okay. that's two player mode only, a two player co op. I don't know how that works. You're shooting lemmings to blow them up, maybe? Is that what it's I for? That's... I don't know. Like, the goal is to keep the lemmings alive, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's supposed to be keeping them alive, not not shooting them. I mean, it's fun to blow them up for fun, but I, I wouldn't plug in a super scope and get a pack of batteries to do so. That's a weird one. Yeah, so there's Metal Combat Falcon's Revenge, which is a sequel to Battle Clash. So, interesting okay. that Battle Clash did well enough to get a sequel. Yeah, no, that is interesting. That's good. So it was Terminator 2, the arcade game that supported it. Operation Thunderbolt, Tin Star, and X Zone. 
So it wasn't Revolution X, it was X Zone. But Revolution X gets best support. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's the way to go. <laughs> a number of those games that supported the Super Scope apparently also supported the light gun functionality because so did Lamborghini or not the not the mouse functionality. Lamborghini American Challenge you can do right. with the Super Scope or the mouse for the, uh, the shooting mode. <laughs> I got to try this because I can do I know I can use an emulator. I think the mister takes a mouse for uh, an actual USB mouse as a SNES mouse. I'll have to try that. I'll have to try Lamborghini just for that mode. That's hilarious. Yeah, if that's an even an option. What a weird thing. So I didn't own one of these either. Uh, a friend of mine did. He had all these toys. And all we ever played was the, the 6-1 package. And to be honest, I remember very little of it. I, I like the idea of light guns in games, but it just feels like all the good ones are arcade games that are not on the home consoles, I guess. So I've, I've played Battle Clash. I didn't much care for the Super Scope 6 cartridge. Uh, there wasn't, it, it, it felt like a, a fancy tech demo. But Battle right. Clash was a quality game, and it was a lot of fun. Okay. And I think I beat it in one sitting, but that sitting was about three hours. I mean, for the oh, you know what? For a like on game, that's a good amount. Yeah, but I don't know if because that's only a super scope game. You can't play that with a controller, right? Right. So I mean, I don't know if I, as a kid, would have liked paying full price for a SNES game that I only got three hours out of. To be fair, I went back and played it. I want to say three times over the course of that week after I had oh, beaten it. Okay. So I, I want to say I probably beat it two or three times. One of the times I came close and got a game over at the end and was just done. Right. But it was, it was a fun game. I liked that one. So the Super Scope, kind of an underrated release, in my opinion. There, there were some quality games for it, but... I think they just kind of got buried by Nintendo's advertising of it comes with six games. And then there was Yoshi Safari yeah. and Battle Clash. And between those three, Battle Clash is the only one I ever found any interest in. Right. Yeah, it's definitely more of a the appearance. The, the idea of this as an accessory is more fun than actually, I think, using it, which is unfortunate. Like it's it's. Yeah. I love the zapper on the NES. And this is just an extension of that and a much cooler form factor. but. As, as a kid, the, the need for the batteries would probably drive my mother nuts. <laughs> There's so few games for it. I don't know. When I was doing my research on this thing, I had completely forgotten that they used this as the Devo, as the, the Devo gun in uh, Super Mario Brothers, the movie. Yeah. They painted <laughs> you, it you black it. and made it the Devo guns. <laughs> yeah. No, that's pretty awesome. I, I want to say, too, that um, was it Kingdom Battle, the, the Rabbids Mario crossover game? I believe Peach uses the super scope as well i think oh cool so there's there's definitely this is an easter egg and a few different things nintendo definitely clearly realizes successful or not that this is a part of their history and they try and sneak in easter eggs with it which is cool yeah do we want to mention the uh the the menacer do i have a screenshot of that one <laughs> the, the sega menacer it just looks like a, which... a an incomplete super scope like in a world <laughs> where everything genesis is black why the hell is this thing gray like a super scope? Why? <laughs> Just to trick kids to buy it? I don't think so. It came out in 92, and I think that was around the time when toy guns were started to being made uh, colorful and obviously yeah. not a real gun. 
So yeah. I'm pretty sure that was a conscious decision to not make it all black so it didn't look as menacing as something called the menacer should. <laughs> no, you know what, 100%? That's got to be what it is. You're right. Because, yeah, you could. there's a time where you couldn't get any cap gums that were black anymore. Right. And the um, the I don't know if I have a picture of it, but the light gun that I know a lot of people liked was the Justifier for lethal enforcers that you can get for the home consoles. And that thing was bright pink and bright blue for the same reason. And uh, so same idea. Yeah, I, I figured I'd put the minister on this list, but like I I remember there's a Toe Jam and Earl tomato game that used the damn thing. Other than that, I have no idea. I think it had less support than the Super Scope. It, yeah, it only had nine games. Uh, again, more than I expected <laughs> for, this, for the Menacer. I did not think there'd be that many for it. That's wild to me. That's crazy. All right. Well, since we've talked about the mouse, I guess we should move on to the mouse. This is okay. this is another device that, you know, both Nintendo and Sega each had their own. Oh, Genesis had one as well? Genesis had one. Oh, it was called the Mega Mouse. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> So this Nest Mouse, I I got to use quite a bit at a friend's place. It got to the point where when I would visit, he would hide it on me because I kept wanting to play Mario Paint with a damn thing. I loved Mario Paint as a kid, and it was mostly because I got to use this mouse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I only sold my Mario Paint sometime last year or the year before. I had it from when I was a kid up until recently, and I was like, I don't think I'm going to play with my Mario Paint anymore. I got Photoshop <laughs> and A-Sprite and... Yeah. <laughs> cool idea. Not my thing anymore. Well, for the time though, like you're like you just said, Photoshop and A Sprite, yeah, definitely you know, capable software. But back then we had none of this stuff, right? I had a friend, his whole family was super into playing with their Mario Paint and making they actually went through the trouble of composing what did they animate? I wanna say they animated a whole cartoon starring Yoshi. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, because it had the animation to a degree. Yeah, and they figured out how to implement music from another, from, I want to say, Mario World somehow, and made this whole cartoon mm. that they animated using Mario Paint and trans, uh, transferred it to a VHS. So it was a long, oh, wow. painstaking process of you animate a segment, record it, delete it, yeah. animate a new segment, record it, delete it, and so forth. And it is stitched together. Huh. Yeah. And that's pretty rad. They're, it was two brothers and their dad. And their dad was surprisingly supportive of that kind of thing. Cause I don't want to say something that sounds like he was one of those guys. He gets home from work on the construction site and cracks open some beers. Yeah. So the fact Long that he day. was like, yeah. yeah. So the fact that he, had the energy and the willpower to help his kids with this and figure that stuff out. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Like for any dad, but when you, when you work something that physically intensive to be tired, that tired when you get home from work and still, yeah, let's do this guys. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And that's like nowadays that's pretty common, right? Kids are into the idea of making videos for YouTube and whatnot. Like my daughter likes to playing with um, some pixel programs she likes to use to make sprites. She knows how to do some basic animations with it. She knows how to pull music to put it with the videos. And she always tells me, I want to put it on YouTube someday. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> but back in the eighties or nineties, I guess for this thing, the concept of video editing was a hell of a lot harder to do. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's a while that 
you had something like Mario Paint, which had all three components. You had animation in there to a degree. It had music, which is what I used to use a lot of. And then it had the painting program. Plus, it had the fun mini game as well. Really, like, honestly, out of all accessories, if this only had one game supported, Mario Paint, I would have been happy with this as an accessory, I think, for me. And you got it with the Mario Paint. But it had a bunch of games as well, too. Yeah, I, I would have thought this had less support than the Super Scope, but it had way more. Apparently, yeah. there were like 50 to 70 games or something. I couldn't find a list, a complete list anywhere that said what games used it. But all the lists had tons and tons of games. So yeah. it, it had a big library of support. I was really surprised. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty happy with this one. It was a trackball mouse too, right? It had to have been trackball back then. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You you had yeah, to yeah. pull the bottom thing off and scrape dirt off of the little rollers <laughs> inside the mouse to keep it clean. So it, it was... Wild. Fortunately, it had its own plastic mouse pad. So mostly what got in there was grimy and you could peel it off pretty easily instead of just being right. dirt and dust clogging it up. Yeah, I remember doing the, the revolved mouse all the time and cleaning it out. And just, you don't have that problem anymore. <laughs> it's just <laughs> yeah, a different right? time. <laughs> Try to explain that to my kids. They don't understand the concept of something so analog in a device. Mm -hmm. And I think Doom supported the mouse, which makes me curious how you, like, how you would move forward and backward. You must have, like, Doom. left hand on the controller pad or something. That's all I can figure is, like, left hand on a controller, right hand on the mouse. They must have done something right. like that. But, yeah, but it was Doom supported was by that. Where it was just, there's no looking up and down in Doom, right? So it just would have been left and right. I right. Think. So maybe, no, it didn't have looking up and down. So maybe moving the mouse forward yeah. and backwards just moved you forward or backward. Oh. And so there was... Maybe oh, there was would, no strafing. Yeah. Maybe it was literally forward, backward, turn left, turn right, shoot, right. and something else. I don't know. Unless I'm holding one of them, it. one of the buttons maybe made you strafe when you went left or right. I guess there's a possible control scheme there. Or, you know, it probably made you swap weapons, honestly. So, yeah. yeah. It had to be weapon swap because there's no wheel on this one. Yeah, right. It's just two buttons yeah. and the, the, the ball. Super Noah's Ark made use of it. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, the Doom clone. Yeah, classic. Yeah. And then <laughs> there were some other art programs besides Mario Paint. There was Acme Animation Factory. I think I rented that one once. It was okay. not as good as Mario Paint. Right. But it... And, and like Mario Paint's animation shape. was very, very short. Like a, a very... Not very complicated. Like, you only got, like, what, eight frames of animation, I think? You got, was it three, six, or nine, I believe? Right. But then smaller sections of area. Right. If it was three frames, it was a big-ass sprite. And if yeah. it was nine frames, it was a little bitty sprite, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But they, they made it work. Yeah. No, I was pretty impressed with this. And I, I think this is like a great accessory for the SNES. This is one I would, I mean, I'd have no use for it now. Like you said, you sold yours even. And that's a point. Yeah. Right? It's, it's a ball mouse that's easily reproducible with the USB mouse and emulators these days. But what a cool thing to have in the 90s, right? Like I never had a computer until I was basically 18. So this would be Same. like my first computer-like exposure with a mouse. Yeah, I got Mario Paint when I was 12. And I didn't get a PC until I was 16 or 17. So yeah, 
That's cool. All right. This is a good one. And then Genesis the, too. the Genesis wow. had the Mega Mouse, and that one, <laughs> that one had some art games too. There was like a Sonic art game, and I think uh, one or two others. But there was also interest. One that really caught me off guard: Marble Madness for the Genesis supported the mouse, and that would probably oh, work really well. Oh, well, because you think it was so? a tra- I don't know. <laughs> because it was a trackball game in the arcades. Yeah, but there's a difference between... Well, you know what? The only difference in the arcades is it's an upside-down mouse. You're right. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Trying to scroll with your hand across a, a desk? Oh, that sounds really hard. Because that game yeah. is famous for having weird controls. So I, I don't know how Probably well that would is. work, but it seemed... I, I thought that was interesting that that was a game that supported it. I wonder if... um Was it Herzog Zui? Zui, the retail real-time strategy game. I wonder if that had support for it. Or General I Chaos would be know. another one. Cannon yeah, fodder curious. supported the mice. If you remember Cannon fodder, that was originally an Amiga game. Cannon fodder. I don't know if I played that one. It was a weird little overhead shooter where you have a little army, like a little platoon of dudes, like two or three guys running around, and you lead them through the jungle or the forest or wherever oh. you happen to be and target where they're going to shoot. You can play it with a controller, but you can also play it with yeah. the mouse. I have not played that game, but that game looks looks really interesting. Yeah, it looked kind of neat. Because the, Gen- was... the Genesis was great for strategy games, right? Yeah. The... Okay, so Nogana- Nobunaga's Ambition used the the mouse on the Genesis. I do remember that one. I didn't make a note of it. But yeah, there were a number of the strategy games on the Genesis made use of the mouse. Yeah. Which so I think totally was, makes um, sense. I think it was Dune. I think Dune was on the Genesis at one point. I think it was Dune. And you know, all these games I need to go back and try now. <laughs> like, I thought Dune was 32X. Um, no, which is, I don't think so. Hmm. No, Dune and Dune 2 were on Genesis. Huh. Yeah. Think so? Yeah, Genesis. Interesting. Right. Yeah, because I remember renting it. And because I rented it, it was years later, I actually bought Dune 2000 because I remember playing genesis version of dune of loving that game so much it's one of my favorite strategy games so i mean i didn't even realize there was a mouse for the genesis that's something i have to check out wild uh, wild yeah the mouse for a home console is just i love that kind of stuff <laughs> it's up there with like dreamcast getting a keyboard it's <laughs> just like merging the two together i love that i stuff. still have my dreamcast keyboard <laughs> do you? i do yeah get an adapter you can use it on your computer man it totally work well, I have my GameCube uh, keyboard right here. I have it plugged into my RetroPie. Because <laughs> that one came with the adapter for USB to GameCube. Oh, oh, interesting. So okay. I just leave the adapter in the drawer and I have it hooked up to my RetroPie because I didn't want to buy another keyboard just for the RetroPie. That's wild. Okay. All right. All right. What else we got? There's the Super Game Boy. Which we cannot ignore. Yes. No, absolutely not. <laughs> it's it's weird that it's an accessory for the Super Nintendo. Honestly, this was the first way I ever played Game Boy games uh, on my own. Like really? I didn't. Okay. I owned this before I owned a Game Boy. Okay. So so I never owned this one, but my friend did. And uh, but I, I was the original Game Boy owner, and I love it. But like I love this because today. Mr. Retro Arch emulation. It's not hard these days to play Game Boy games on a big screen TV. But in the 90s, 
I never even dreamed of playing like Donkey Kong 94 on a TV. But if you had the Super Game Boy, it totally works. And you don't have to worry about batteries. Like, this is an amazing device. This is how I played Pokemon the first time through. Oh. Well, Pokemon wow, Blue, okay. Super Game Boy. I didn't get a Game <laughs> Boy Pocket until... Um, I want to say that summer. You know what? I might have gotten it just before the, the Pokemon Blue came out. But I did get a Game Boy Pocket that summer, like the same year that Pokemon came out. So that was when I got a Game Boy. But I had the Super Game Boy for a couple years before that. Okay. So I played Mario's Picross on this thing. I... <laughs> what a weird game to want to play on a big screen TV. I'm thinking like, you know, Mario Land and, you know, maybe Tetris. <laughs> Mario's Picross was my first uh, Game Boy game. Really? Yeah. Okay. I bought it I off a friend because I had a Super Game Boy that I had just picked up like, oh, now I can start getting Game Boy games. And I borrowed Picross from a friend and I loved it. And he was like, you can have it for 20 bucks. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. That's wild to me. I think for me, it was Donkey Kong 94 played on this. And if I'm not wrong, this thing, you had a different color palette for certain games. And Donkey Kong 94 was one of those games that had a special palette with this. Like it's still Game Boy color palette, but it looked different with this device. Right, so... And I think you've got different borders, too. Yeah, it could play all game... Uh, I want to say almost all Game Boy games. There might have been one or two. It couldn't. Um, yeah. What I was reading said it was almost universal. And then yeah. it could play Game Boy Color games as long as they had a Game Boy mode. So the few right. Game Boy Color games that were backwards compatible, it could play. Yeah. Like, I know there were some games, I think Metroid 2, uh, I want to say Maryland had one as well. There's a few Game Boy games that had special Super Game Boy color palettes that was built into the device. Mm -hmm. um, and as, as and frames. was, did you ever hear about this one? The second one. I have a Super heard Game of Boy it. 2. What is the yeah. difference? I used to know and I forgot because I didn't. I, I, did, I didn't retain the information, honestly. I looked into it a couple years ago. <laughs> well, we never got it over here, right? This is Yeah, it was Japan, Japan only, only I think. I think it was. So, yeah, that's why I was looking at my phone here. So, if people watch the video, I'm looking down. It's, I'm paying attention, man. I'm just doing my research <laughs> or checking my mind palace. Yeah, if you see me keep looking over here, it's because this is where my notes are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, higher clock speed is the main difference. So, better performance for certain Game Boy games. Okay. Uh, different different borders from the original Game Boy uh, Super Game Boy One because uh, some games had extra borders in the sides. This is different. Mm -hmm. uh, it also had a built-in two-player mode. Also had a Game Link port built in, so it had the Game Link port built in for two-player support. Uh, I think that's what for Pokemon trading and stuff. Yeah, so you so could like use your same uh, Super Game Boy to trade to your Game Boy or your friend's Game Boy or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's so that's that's interesting. Cool. Or you know, it's like, Tet we're, Tetris we're, land parties. Of course, yes, <laughs> famous Tetris land parties. Who could forget those days? <laughs> Honestly, I never had a link cable. I never had much interest in it for this, but uh, it's something that for later on Nintendo techs, right? If you ever want to play Zelda Four Swords properly in the GameCube, you need the Game Boys with the cables. It was just crazy. But uh, no, when we were talking accessories, I forgot about the Super Game Boy until you mentioned it. And it's a, it's a solid device. Like, what a great thing to be able to play portable games on TV. 
And like I said, Pokemon. Playing Pokemon this, I could totally see it. You know, like I, as much as I like Pokemon, for a role-playing game, it's kind of tough to play on a, a small little screen. But uh, to play on the big screen would be really cool. Pokemon had the benefit of all the towns, like, or, well, most of the towns have a color name to them, right? So right. you get to Cerulean, and the city is all shades of Cerulean. And you get to Pewter, and it's all shades of gray. When you're wandering the yeah. routes, it's usually green. If you go in the caves, it's brown. Uh, so oh, it, it did that? It, it did. Oh, I didn't know that. It, That's depending really on where you were, huh. the palette would automatically shift to match the region, which was a super cool okay. little little thing. Like it was something that I got playing it on Super Game Boy that I would have got would not have gotten had I only played it on the Game Boy. And that was a nice little yeah. touch. It yeah, <laughs> it probably made that. playing a Game Boy game on my TV a little more bearable. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's the thing, even today. When I watch streamers play Game Boy games, I can't watch it unless they're using a, the green and yellow spinach color palette. If they don't have that color palette, it's hard for me to watch. I don't like the black and that's white because that's not weird. Game Boy to me. Well, because I grew up with the original Game Boy and that's the color it was, right? The Game right. Boy Pocket changed the colors a bit and it's just not the same to me. So <laughs> it's something like that. This is also one of the few games or systems on the Mister where I'll turn on the filters for the um, the grid lines, right? The filter, the scan lines on the Game Boy, so I get those pixels showing. It's just one of those weird things where I'm just so used to seeing the pixels of the Game Boy, and if it's not there, I, I get upset. It bugs me. But I guess we didn't have any of that stuff on Super Game Boy. There was no filters on the Game Boy or Super Game Boy. Mm. That's pretty wild, though. It's a fantastic accessory. This is this is great, and I heard nothing but good things about the second one. It's, it's always weird to me they didn't release the second Game Boy, Super Game Boy here. Um... The original Game Boy might not have sold well, or Super Game Boy may not have sold well enough, and I, I'm pretty sure the actual handhelds were selling pretty well over here. I mean, they... Yeah, and you know what? <laughs> Nintendo was probably... There's, what, three iterations of Game Boys over here, right? You had the original, the Pocket, and then the Color, right? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, I guess, just constantly selling those systems, people were just happy buying those and not this. And then, eventually... They also did what the Game Boy Light, which was the, the little was tiny one. It was itty bitty, like the car the cartridge stuck out of it. But it was a really? uh, it was backlit and it was shaped like an NES controller, basically as far as the shape. So it had the D pad on the left side and the buttons on the right side and the screen in the middle. And it was just it was like a bar. I know there's a GBA Mini. Like it's a belt buckle style Game Boy Advance. I don't know about the Game Boy, a small Game Boy though. I'll have to look into that. I'm actually looking at, um, like, I kind of want to get a Game Boy today. I've seen a lot of people doing mods of their Game Boys to have backlit screens and that kind of thing. So I was kind of thinking I might do a Game Boy build. I would do a backlit screen, and I'd probably have to get EverDrive, but those things are pricey. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know. I really love the Game Boy, like, quite a bit. I mean, I mean, if I had an original SNES, I would definitely own this accessory today. I think it's fantastic. Okay, so it wasn't called Game Boy Lite. It was called Game Boy Micro. Okay. And it, it and looked like a... Game Boy? Yeah, it was an original Game Boy, and it had a backlit screen, huh. and it looked like a very tiny Game Gear, essentially. Huh. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> it was the same layout, just really small. And that, like, if you think an NES controller gives you a cramp plan, the oh. Game Boy Micro is <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. No it's... You're like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, just like a Joy-Con then, honestly. Yeah, it's... it's I, I don't get Nintendo's thing for small buttons. It drives me nuts. It's very tiny. 
I, yeah. I honestly don't know why they went so small with it. Like, okay, here's a picture of it that I'm looking at. It fits in this guy's hand with plenty of room. <laughs> so it, it was a little thing for sure. It was probably maybe twice the size of a Game Boy cartridge as far as width goes and then the same height. Yeah, that's that's pretty cramped. I, I don't see it. At least with this thing, you're using a standard SNES controller to play games, and I think that would be pretty comfortable. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. And there's nothing like this on the Genesis, as far as I know. No. Well, technically the power base converter. Okay. Well, Which, you know, let's switch to that one then. <laughs> yeah, the power base converter launched with the Genesis. And it was to... I didn't realize it launched, but yeah. Yeah, it, it released at launch, and it was to make sure that people could still play their Master System games on the new hardware. Right. So Master System was not portable, but I guess the same idea. You're plugging something into a console to play a different generation of games. Right. And I see this did both the cards on SMS, but also the cards as well, which is interesting. Yep. And I, this is one of those things that I always kind of wanted just to have because I thought it was cool. And I've seen them in person. I've messed with them in person. But I, <laughs> I think I'm happy just having my original Master System instead. I like how it has the pause button built into it as well, because that was one of the, the dumb things. This, yeah. This, uh, Master System was the pause button, and this has that button, which is hilarious. They didn't me. rewire um, it to just use the, the start button on the Genesis controller. No, yeah. no, no. It's no. pause button. You want that authentic <laughs> Master System experience, your ass gets off the couch, walks over to the system, and hits the pause button <laughs> and not start. And what's uh, funny is they wild. actually had to redesign the, the power base converter for the Genesis Model 2. Because the shape of the, the Model 1 version blocked the ports on the back of the Genesis 2. I'm even surprised there was a second version at all. Because the, the, the second version of the Genesis was years after release, right? Because mm -hmm. I remember my uncle went to buying one, a Genesis, because he was playing mine a lot. And when he bought his own, it was a different style. And that was a few years after release. I, I'm just surprised the Master System had fans <laughs> that far into the Genesis lifespan. Like, I like the Master yeah. System, don't get me wrong, but I think Genesis was a far better console. That's interesting. That's wild. Does this have the FM audio built into it, do you know? I'm not sure. Because, like, um, I know there's some Master System games that take advantage of it, like Double Dragon, and I think... I'm trying to think. I think you need a special thing for it. Because for those who don't know, if anybody's played the Master System in an emulator, make sure you turn on FM, FM on, because uh, there's some pretty serious tunes coming out of some games. Mm. The Power Base FM allows SMS cards to be played with FM sound on Genesis. So it does. Interesting. Cool. cool. Yeah, this is, a, this is a great thing. Like, if you're, if you're a Sega fan back in the day, if you got shafted <laughs> and your parents didn't buy you Nintendo... Then uh, you probably have a lot of nostalgia for those systems, and this is like a neat device. But I mean, like you said, you can buy a Sega Master System for peanuts nowadays. Yeah, well, I've I've had my Master System for twenty years now, and I bought it off yeah. of my cousin who had it for probably twelve years before that. So, right. Um, <laughs> the Master System I have is one I grew up playing, even though it wasn't mine; it was my cousin's. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah we. Cool. I used to love playing it at his house because I had the NES, he had the Master System. 
And then when the Genesis came out, we both got Genesis. And then Super Nintendo came out. He kind of stopped getting so much game stuff. Uh, I got the Super Nintendo. And then eventually he ended up getting an N64 and I didn't. So it was... <laughs> Back and forth. Yeah, I, I, I'm just trying to think of today if I would ever want one of these. But I think you're right. If I were a collector or something today, I would just want the Master System itself. I don't think I would buy this device. This is one of those things that these days you'd probably want it to just have it like in the box and complete. And it's just a cool yeah. piece to have. It's not something yeah. that's going to get a ton of use. And then <laughs> I guess this is a good segue for the. Uh... Oh, bef- no, no, no. Yeah, this is a good segue to go to the 32X because it's a very similar concept. But it enables yes. hardware to go the other <laughs> way instead. Yeah, I don't have a picture of this one, but we can talk about the 32X and the Sega CD by extension, I guess. They're yeah, they're accessories, but they're also like new consoles in a way. Sort Which of. Sega was so damn weird with this, right? Yeah. So 32X, <laughs> for those unfamiliar, was an attempt to make the Genesis lifespan last longer and compete with incoming hardware that was more powerful than the 16-bit hardware. Uh, because right. this was around the time we were starting to like we were hearing the murmurs of the, the PlayStation and like we were getting CDI, which oh boy. And uh, <laughs> what was the other one? Uh, 3DO. Yes, which, which another one that just didn't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so and, many great uh, consoles. <laughs> but we we had Neo Geo was out like people. Some people had that at home. I, I knew of a few. I never saw one in person. And then, yeah. what was the other? Oh, the Jaguar came out around that time too, I believe. I'm trying to think, yeah, because it was um Jaguar came out like a year too early, I think, or maybe a year too. I don't late too late, I guess, in the generation because then you had Saturn, and then you had PlayStation, so kind of it was kind of a weird gap, and it was just not a great system. But uh, yeah, I, I guess Sega was just trying to have something in between the generations of, of gaming, right? Just something out there. But there was so, there's so few titles for it. Like, I want to say there's more titles for the Super Scope on the SNES than there are for the 32X. Quite possibly. There were not a <laughs> lot of games. And then I think there was an even smaller subset of games that made use of the 32X and the Sega CD both. Oh, yeah. It's got to be what a couple, like at most. It's weird. The only one I remember, the, the two I remember, I think there's a Star Wars game, which I have not played. And then, of course, it was the Sonic game, so- Sonic Chaotix, which is the one everybody's like, oh, it looks so great. But it gameplay-wise, it was not that fantastic. Like, I know with the Mister, right, The um, to make a core for the Mister is quite labor-intensive. Like, it's a lot of work for these guys to do it. And I always laugh when I see people hounding core developers saying, hey, well, why don't you do CPS 3 from the arcades for Street Fighter 3? It's because it's a lot of work, and there's only like four games for the CPS three. There's not a lot of effort. And the 32x, people are asking for the 32x, and like I'd like to see it someday, but all that work for how many games? <laughs> like seven? Is there even ten games for this thing? Yeah, right. Well, the it's a 32, lot of work. the Sega Mega CD 32x had six games, and one of them is Brazil only. <laughs> Believe it or not, Night six Trap games. is one of them. They use the 32X? Yeah, 32X CD. How does that work? Is it a cartridge and a CD or just a CD that taps into the cartridge, the 32X's hardware? 
I honestly don't know. But the actual 32X, it looks like had probably three dozen games. Oh, well, you know what? That's, that's not so bad then. Blackthorn was one of them. cost of the device. So, so you know why I got confused with this? Is Blackthorn was also on the Genesis and Super Nintendo, I think. Mm-hmm. So it was a 32X port. Yeah. So I wonder how many of the, these games were unique to the 32X and how many were ports. Um, well, I know Knuckles Chaotix was unique to it, but that yes. game was not very good. No. <laughs> Unfortunately. And that's like, I love me some Sonic games, but yeah. But, oh, Virtual Racing was probably, no, that one wasn't unique to it because you could also buy that for the Genesis. Yeah, standalone, right, and that I one I believe that one for the Genesis had a chip inside of it to make it more powerful, so it was like a hundred dollar game instead of the usual sixty. Yeah, I can't remember if I bought it used or if I rented it, but I played it a lot. And the arcades in at home, and uh, it was an expensive cart. I think I did own it. Uh, it's fantastic. I love virtual racing. It maybe doesn't hold up as well now. Uh, and if you're going to play it now, you'd probably just play the arcade on emulation. But for the Genesis, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Like that's up there with Star Fox. Um, I guess yeah. the 32x versions probably got better frame rate. I'm Very just likely, through yeah. The list. However, um, the 32x had a couple of issues. One is early on, the first releases of it actually made use of the expansion port that the Sega CD makes use of. Okay. So you'd only have one or the other, not both. Oh, that's. That's not like if good. You, yeah, you'd have to <laughs> unhook one to use the other, which, I mean, it's it's not that big an issue because you can honestly just slide it off of the, the CD, plug in the piece, and then snap in the cartridge slot, and you're good to go. But yeah, it's still, that's, that's a lot of work to just play something on the same platform. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nobody's going to do that. That seems to be a pain. That seems to be a weird thing. It's like, you think there would be a way to have like a pass-through cable or something. Yeah, later versions stopped Later versions stopped making use of the 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 expansion port and put it all in the the uh, the cartridge slot. Right. However, there were there were also issues with the 32x actually causing the Genesis motherboard to get fried. Oh, really? It would overheat it and <laughs> melt it, and then the Genesis was useless. That's I never heard of that. That's like early Red Ring of Death. I've I've only heard wild. of it a couple of times, but I actually met someone who had that issue. And I was like, That'd that sucks. Me. <laughs> I, I just look at the 32X and I kind of say to myself, like, if as a kid, you're would, you would buy this thinking that this was the future of Genesis games and that you'd only exclusively be buying 32X cartridges for the next couple of years. But that was definitely not the case when there's only 30, 30 so games for the damn thing. Yeah. And you're well, still buying Genesis them. games. I'm pretty sure Sega of America, uh, more specifically Tom Kalinske, but probably most of the heads of Sega of America, were totally against the 32X. Yeah. Because it divides the market going into the 32-bit market with the Saturn and the PlayStation and all that. You don't want to yeah. split your <laughs> your market share even further because then you're... And I mean, that's what happened. A lot of people didn't buy the Saturn because they felt burned by the 32X. Yeah, I mean, I remember as a kid looking at the catalog at Christmas and, you know, the one year it was a Sega CD. I'm like, oh, I wish I could get that. And then a year or so later, it was a 32X. Like, well, you know, I could get all three. And then you see the Saturn and it's just kind of like, you're done with the Genesis. You don't want to look at any of the Sega stuff anymore. 
Yeah. I mean, so I, the Sega, I was done with the consoles till Dreamcast. The Sega CD hit North America in 92. It originally released in Japan in 91. The 32X came out in 94. So there was at yeah. least a couple years there. But then... Yeah. And I think the 32X came out late 94. And then Saturn released middle of 95. Six months earlier yeah. than everybody was expecting. And which hurt the sales. It, it was bad. So yeah. the 32X was just a bad call all around. It was yeah. cool idea, <laughs> but with development of brand new hardware in, in the works, they shouldn't have. It was wasted money yeah. on R&D. It was wasted yeah. time on R&D, wasted resources. It was just 32X should not have happened. Sega CD, I can forgive because... That's more in line with like the Turbo CD. It's right. It was early enough in the lifespan to where it extended what the system could do for a period of time. That meant well, something to gamers. But it also brought CD audio to games, right? And right. CD audio was huge for home console games. Thirty-two X is still carts. So what's the point? I mean, faster processor, I guess. Maybe more sprites. <laughs> I look at thirty-two X games and they look great. They can look good, but is it worth? paying for an add-on when you can just play the genesis versions of the games i don't think it makes a difference yeah uh, i just don't see the, the sega cd you're right i could forgive that i could see why that exists the 32x I don't, I don't buy it but speaking of that uh the virtual racing game that actually had the chip implanted in it that made it do more that was akin to kind of like what super nintendo did with Star Fox and uh, i want to say Mega Man x2 yeah. yeah the fx chip but virtual racing, like the, the chip that they put in these Genesis cartridges was leaps and bounds above what the FX chip could do. Because yeah. I'm pretty sure virtual racing looked far better than anything the FX chip made use of. It was also faster frame rates, right? Like as, as neat as Star Fox is and like Stunt Race FX and all those that use that chip, they're all, to me, feel really slow and really yeah. low in frames. They're virtual fun, racing, but the frame rate is yeah. terrible. <laughs> Virtual Racing is a very smooth game and plays amazingly well. There's only three tracks, which is not a lot, but it plays really well for what it is. Hmm. But, I mean, I guess that's only technically... <laughs> it's not really an accessory so much as it was an altered hardware, but, I mean, it's tangential. Yeah. It's not super tangential. It's only slightly tangential, so I feel like it fits. I just, I wanted to mention well, that. Do we want to switch to... uh other on cartridge accessories then um well if you're thinking if you're gonna talk about what i'm thinking you're talking about from codemasters yeah i think it's worth talking about what the reason that came about first okay sure so we'll start with then the multi-tap in general okay. just the multi-tap super nintendo had one genesis had two <laughs> well super nintendo had two as well right I think. Yeah, but they were all like the Super Nintendo ones all worked with any other game, period. And that was the nice thing about it. You bought a soup if you bought a right. multi-tap for Super Nintendo, it worked with any game that made use of more than two players. Period the end. Okay. Whereas there was a big issue with the multi-tap on the Genesis because Sega's team player and EA's team four-way play were competing. And so if it made use of one, it generally didn't make use of the other. 
So that's and wild it, to me. But you know, would, that's interesting though, and I can see it because EA, EA um, was one of those companies that did their best to override how Sega's cartridges were manufactured. They had their own manufacturing process for Genesis carts, and then yeah. they had a big battle for a while about it. That's why they had the Genesis or the EA Genesis carts had that yellow tab on them. It's because it's done by themselves. They didn't go to Sega for their manufacturing. Right. So that I mean, that was pretty cool that EA gave Sega some some guff and to where they couldn't just completely control the market like that the way nintendo yeah. did and i mean ea successfully pulled what tengen tried to do on the nes and completely failed at yeah and ea, EA got away with it right yeah well ea did it legally and i mean i know yeah. nowadays we look at ea and we're like oh you pieces of shit you garbage you know <laughs> but back then ea really was like it it was they were pushing boundaries constantly. It was like they were EA and Sega were like the wild west of the gaming industry back then and putting them together. It was a shit show, but in the best possible way for consumers and except for this multi-tap conundrum. So the team player and the four way play, if game worked with one, it didn't work with the other. Generally, if it was an EA game, it worked with the four way play. If it wasn't an EA right. game, it worked with the team player and not the four-way play. So that was that was the mess. And so people That's complained wild. to Sega. So going forward, the team player actually worked with both games. Like Okay. Both uh it was compatible with both game uh game formats, I guess. But then well, later... so if you were a sports fan of EA, then you you would want the EA one because like EA is famous for all the sports games on Genesis, right? There's a right. lot of fun memories of those. I, I didn't even realize that they were not incompatible. Like I didn't really play many multiplayer games in Genesis, not four way ones. I think the only one I did was Bomberman, but I didn't I didn't think that multi tap would not work with with uh, EA games. It it occurred to me while I was researching this one that I've never seen a multi tap for the Genesis. Yeah, I don't have no idea. I didn't know they existed. <laughs> I didn't either. It's been a long time. And so looking into the multi-tap, I came across the J-Cart. <laughs> All right, I'll pull that one up. So the J-Cart is a fun one. And I'm guessing this was just to avoid the whole mess that was the Genesis multi-tap. Codemasters were like, hey, let's build a cartridge with two extra controller ports built into it. Imagine that 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 decision. It's like, look, there's two there's two multi taps in the market. They're not getting along. I don't want to deal with this headache with our customers. Just put two ports in the cartridge <laughs> itself. Just be done with it. Let's just do that, and just tell kids don't yank too hard in the cart the cords because they'll, they'll pull the cartridge out. Right? Like oh, wow. there were there were some games that I have where you can't touch them or the whole game freezes. <laughs> You've got controllers <laughs> hanging out of it. I don't understand. It's like wild. these these can't have aged that well, right? So this is for Micro Machines 2, which I didn't, I've never played. Right. I, I famously played the first them. game on multiple platforms, but this is a sequel. So there were, there were six J-Carts released, three okay. versions of Pete Sampras Tennis, and three versions of Micro Machines. <laughs> okay. Are they different games, at least? They are, yeah. It's, it's not like okay. the same game. It's like, uh, there's Micro Machines 2 Turbo Tournament, which you have here. There was Micro Machines yeah. 96, and then one other Micro Machines game. And then there were three Pete okay. Sampras tennis entries, and that was it. Those those were the J-cards. 
just wild. That kid who has to own three copies of Pete Sampras Tennis. Just he's just the, the rabbit fan. <laughs> has to buy all three. <laughs> I didn't I just I didn't even realize there was that many micro machine games. It's Me it's either. wild. Like Codemasters was famous for their ports, right? Like micro machines on everything, I think, at these points. But this yeah. is wild that they shoved two ports on it. I think that's great. That's wild. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a it's a pretty clever solution to a problem that was created by Sega and EA. Yeah, <laughs> Codemasters was just like, like no, 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 we're we're not going to deal with that. <laughs> like you would never see this on uh, Super Nintendo, right? Like no, I would never see a Super Nintendo card. Nintendo would never allow it. First off, <laughs> like there's no way. <laughs> like it would That's... just violate their their code of building machine uh, cartridges. Whereas yeah. just Sega, I guess, because of their battles with EA, just couldn't stop companies making their own carts. Well, that was the, they actually struck a deal with EA to not sell that technology to other companies, and they let EA keep making their own cartridges for a very small licensing fee to Sega. So it was right. They weren't getting their usual cut, but they also weren't handling manufacturing. So they were basically getting right. free money at that point. So it was yeah. it was less than they should have gotten, but more than they deserved, I guess you could say. And well, so that's, EA did reverse engineering on the tech to to do it, I think, right? So it's all there on their own. Yeah. Okay. That's wild. And then let's see. Looking at my notes here. I guess now we can get to some of the various controllers. Yeah, here, so, let me start with one, if you don't mind. Sure. Pull one up here. Yeah, this, that's uh, where I was gonna go, actually. The Genesis oh, 6. Oh, well, good. All right. Because when I think of like <laughs> Yeah, because like the Genesis controller, classically, is the, the big round boomerang in your hands with three large buttons and that D-pad. I love the three-button Genesis controller. It's one of my favorites. I bought a couple off eBay last year, and I love the one that has a metal ball bearing in the D-pad, which I think is fantastic. It's holed up and it aged very well for something that's like, what, 20 years old oh, or more? Older than that. The, uh, older, right? Yeah, the Genesis came out in 89, so the Genesis is 32 years yeah. old now. And... So it's it's just wild, and it feels so good in the hands. Like the buttons are large; it's great. I like it in a lot of ways more than the SNES controllers in some ways. And uh, but there's a few games I rented, like Mortal Kombat. Well, I bought Mortal Kombat, but uh, Street Fighter Championship Edition, which we all know Street Fighter needs six buttons. Genesis didn't have that, and the alternative was to hit start to switch between punches and kicks, which is a shit show. Yeah. So I mean, at some point, Nintendo or Sega said, "Let's bring out a new controller. This this thing." It's not bad, but I don't like how the top row of, of buttons, the XYZ, are smaller and they feel cheaper plastically to me. I don't know about you. They <laughs> yeah, don't feel I, as nice as I always as the thought original. it was weird that they're smaller, but honestly, I don't know. I, here's something that, can, that I'm curious about. Did other companies that made six button controllers decide that Sega's design was good, so they copied it? <laughs> or what because um, i have a third party six button controller i never had an official one and its top row of buttons is also smaller and feel cheaper than the bottom row i don't get it maybe they just thought and like for a lot of games the the top row would be less important to gameplay i guess i'm thinking like contra hardcore i think uses them for weapon switching which granted fine i don't need a solid button for those but I always looked at this as a fighting game controller, right? Playing Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter, yeah. where you, you want all six buttons to be good. Uh, I don't like how the top row is so chintzy. 
It's really bizarre. And no shoulder buttons like the SNES, I guess. Also, the D-pad is a bit different in this one. I don't know. It's not a bad controller. I just find it's... it weird how it's quite a bit different than the three-button controller. It, feel, it feels... It doesn't feel like a step up to me, but this is kind of what they went with with the Saturn. They went in this direction, right? Yeah, this was very much the direction. In fact, I can pull a Saturn controller out and show you guys. <laughs> I know you love it. Um, you can also buy these today. Retrobit makes, from all counts, a pretty good clone of the Sega 6-Bot controller, and it's dirt cheap. And they have so both original Genesis port ones, but also USB ones, and they're pretty solid controllers. So this is a neat controller you can buy even today. So this is the six button that I have. Yeah. Which is, uh, it's by performance, if you remember that brand at all. But yeah, you can see no. the top row of buttons is smaller. And yeah. None of the buttons look particularly, and honestly, they all feel kind of cheap. But this controller has been solid. It, it works better than any of my official Sega controllers still. So there's really? that. Huh. Yeah, for the Genesis. Now, for the Saturn, you can see the little buttons on top are still little. But they don't yeah. feel cheap. Like the whole controller okay. feels really solid. So you can see how they went from <laughs> that little thing you got down there <laughs> to this. It's got yeah. Uh, the Saturn controller is one of the ones that has a huge nostalgia. A lot of people love that controller quite a bit. Yeah, it's it's pretty comfy. And I know there was a redesign for the controllers. I or I believe there was a redesign for the controller. In fact, yeah, there was because this is the original Saturn controller, and the later ones look like the. 8-bit dough M30. They're more that shape. Oh. Oh, like the like a bone-ish shape. Yeah, it's more like is a it? dog okay. bone shape. So it's yeah. it's a little more comfortable than the boomerang. Yeah. Yeah, actually the, the 8-bit dough version has the smaller buttons as well, if I'm not wrong. And that's actually not a bad controller. It is a good 8-bit dough controller, but mm -hmm. I never so saw it's... it. Like there's uh, there's a few companies that make six button controllers and they have six equal size buttons. I want to say it's um Hori, Hori's Commander ones, I think. I'm pretty sure it's Hori that makes them, and they're six-button controllers. The ones they have out now are mechanical buttons, like mechanical switches, which is... Wow. Sounds interesting. I kind of want to pick one up, but <laughs> I, I can't use it. But I like the other three, six equal-sized buttons on a controller seems interesting, and I don't know. But not, not a bad controller, and like, honestly, for the six games you, you want to play with six buttons, this is the way to go, right? Like, I could never play Mortal Kombat with a three-button controller. It's not the same as playing with a six. Yeah, and honestly, as far as fighting games go, I always thought the six buttons laid out together worked better than the Super Nintendo yeah. with the four buttons and L and R. I never knew what L and R to push. Like, which one was kick and which one was punch? It was always um, confusing to me. It never felt right. Yeah, I, I would swap it usually to what yeah. felt comfortable for me. But uh, the, even Capcom realized that. <laughs> <laughs> and they yeah. released a controller called the Capcom Pad Soldier, or based on the pro, uh, the packaging, it was CP Soldier. And yeah, there it is. Yeah, it's, I remember you even picture this. This one is bizarre. It like, what, really. How do you even is, hold this? <laughs> you, you hold, hold it, it like like this, <laughs> and then you have three fingers go over the buttons. Oh, that's weird. So <laughs> it's for those listening and not watching, basically it looks like a sort of joystick in that you only hold yeah. the controller with your left hand and it's got a grip around the back. So the start and select buttons are above the D-pad. You got the D-pad accessible to your left hand's thumb. And then you put your right hand's middle three fingers over the other six buttons 
like you would on the Genesis six button controller if you were playing a fighting game, probably. And that's how you use it. So L and R are yeah. just extensions past X and A. <laughs> yeah. Which is the way to go, the way to do it. It just that grip is bizarre. Like the <laughs> the left hand holds the weight of your your fingers on the other right side, which I guess is as close to an arcade stick you're gonna get at home, I guess, with this design. But it's very weird looking. I don't know. Yeah. Well, How does it play? Because you own one. How does it feel? It, it's yeah. really comfortable. What you're not seeing there is there's actually a slot for each finger to sit behind. Okay. So you can fit every finger comfortably and each one has its own notch. That's actually really good. That looks So you actually. have a great grip on this. If you're squeezing this, it's not going anywhere. Like you've, you've got yeah. a handle on this thing. It's a very comfortable controller. I used to have two. I lent one to a friend. Never saw him again after that, unfortunately. But uh, I I bought two, and they were like nine bucks on clearance at Electronics Boutique at the time or something. So oh wow, I was like, these are cool controllers. I want them. <laughs> That's well. Well, so I, I mean, as a kid, I was. Only, I mean, I think we joked before in episodes about this where you're visiting a friend's place and they would get the official controller, and the friend would get the the shitty knockoff controller from Medcats or whatever. <laughs> so, and that goes back even to the SNES and Genesis era where a lot of these third-party controllers I didn't trust very much as a kid um, I have one I can show hold on because I, I did use this one which I think it's hilarious it's the, the, yeah. the TurboTouch you 360 me, you showed me a picture of that I had completely forgotten that thing existed <laughs> yeah and like this thing as well so it's like a, there was a Genesis 1 and a SNES 1 basically the same idea the buttons are where you expect them to be and the, but there is turbo above them but then the D-pad is removed and it's placed as a touch surface, like a hexagon surface. And it is definitely a touch controller. And uh, I love it. If you look at the box for it, it says <laughs> you'll love it or your money back. There's actually a money back guarantee. I wonder how many people actually tried to take them up on it. Oh, wow. Because to use this, right? The idea is if you're playing Street Fighter and you're trying to do quarter circle forward on the touchpad, it should be nice and fluid. This thing is ass. It, it did never did what you wanted to. I can never... <laughs> Just playing like Mario or Sonic with this damn controller, it just never felt right touching and not trying to tap it, uh, clicking on a D-pad. Like tactile sensation in a D-pad is very important to me. That's why I like the Xbox One controller so much is as a clicky D-pad, which nobody does these days. But this thing, there's no clicking, there's no pressing, just touching, and it feels awful. <laughs> like just awful. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know how many people like me went to a friend's place and got stuck with this controller while you got the floor mopped with you by your friend playing a standard controller. It's just weird. This feels like they device. took the idea of the Nest Max, but instead of the little wheel that or rolls around inside there to yeah. go where you want it to, you have that. Just a touch surface. Just the touch surface. <laughs> and I would hate that. Yeah. Oh. Ahead of its time, maybe in a way, because this is before touch screens and, and touch pads and laptops were such a huge thing. So maybe mm. maybe ahead of its time, but Maybe they didn't have the, the technology back then. I, I just can't imagine today. Well, you know what? The PS4 or 5 has a touchpad on it. Excuse me. Is it the touchpad? Is the PS5 that has yeah, the that? PS, no, the PS4 has it. Yeah. So you know what? Maybe this is the groundwork for the PS4's touchpad. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, Sony. <laughs> I believe we, we the, the PS Vita had one on the back. Oh, so yeah. I'd heard that. Sony yeah. has made use of the touchpads. Yeah, I generally yeah, don't I, care I for how they this. get implemented. Most games that I enjoy that use them just use it as another button. 
<laughs> they don't actually yeah. use the touch the, the the actual pad part of it. They just use the button functionality. It's like another R3 or L3, you know. <laughs> yeah, if you're building an arcade stick these days and it has a PS4 support on the board, there's a there's a wire you can you can control for a button and it's literally just a touchpad button. I have no idea what fighting games use the damn thing for, but you can totally wire in a touchpad button on an arcade stick. It seems like such a wasted opportunity, honestly. So, I don't know. TurboTouch 360. I don't I, yeah, I would almost want one just as a as a joke. I'm, I'm <laughs> working on a uh, display. I want to put a display together of all these old controllers. And uh, there's a few on there that I want. I think this is one of the ones I would want as a joke to put up there. The other is the uh, Coleco one. Mm. Mm. I love that this thing is that bright yellow, too. It's like safety yellow. <laughs> well, the SNES one was gray, an awful gray with a blue touchpad, I think. So just not winning any design awards at all. <laughs> like, like I gotta look all. this up. SNES Turbo Touch 360. I gotta see this thing. Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not great. And it looks, I it's the same shape. That's not Super yeah. Nintendo shape. That's horrible. <laughs> It has the shoulder buttons, though, I think, doesn't it? It does. does it have six buttons on the front? Yeah. It has the shoulder buttons and then the four on the face where they should be, but it's definitely a more Genesis-shaped controller. Yeah. It just screams knockoff. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, your friend hands you this, you're like, oh, well, I'm not going to win today. And then apparently there was, I'm seeing a version here that was yellow and red instead of the blue, so I don't know. <laughs> Oh, that was for the NES. They put it on the NES as well. Oh my goodness! Oh, I did. I did not know that. <laughs> wow. And wow. it's the same what, what shape can, still. <laughs> what can make Mario that much harder? Let's make it touch controls. Let's just really screw with our audience. <laughs> I can't Gosh. imagine this thing is. Somebody was like, "This is gonna be great," and then it was not. Revolutionary <laughs> touch controls. I don't. I don't get it. Wow. No, I, I can't yeah, stand touch controls. I can't play games like most mobile games because they require touchscreen and like, yeah, what like Genshin Impact. That's a great example. So I played Genshin Impact on my phone a little bit. I was terrible at it. And that's probably one yeah. of the best examples of touchscreen controls I've ever played. That was the least oh, really? trouble it's, I've had controlling okay. a 3D game or a game that uses on-screen controls like that ever and i it's still just paled in comparison to me being able to use a controller on the pc version yeah it was it was just no contest i've been playing a little bit of monster hunter stories uh the android port is got improved graphics over the 3ds version so i'm playing on my phone anyway and the same thing touch controls it's playable but using a d-pad virtually like just with touch sucks it just i can't do it without some kind of tactile sensation i just can't do it I don't like it at all. By the way, I, I want to mention that box. Uh, the box for the TurboTouch 360 said longer play or your money back. No need to push. So I'm <laughs> guessing it was combating the your thumb getting raw from all the <laughs> all the deep and all that thumb fatigue. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, if that's the case, it should have made touch buttons. I think maybe touch buttons might have been the better sell for this. I could see myself yeah. touching a touchpad for button presses, like especially like shootings where you'd really tap in going nuts. That seems to be better call for me. 
Not the D-pad. <laughs> yeah, it would have made more sense had they done like the, the Switch jo- left Joy-Con or something. Yeah. What a weird thing. Hmm. And then right. I think I have... Oh, <laughs> speaking of uh, fighting games we were talking about with the, uh, the CP Soldier and Sega 6 button, there's the Activator. Oh, yes. Did you ever have you ever had a chance to use this thing? I have not. And it's like I'm curious. Part of me is yeah. sad and part of me is like I probably didn't miss out on anything. <laughs> so the activator is that hexagonal ring you put on your floor and you stand in the middle of it and then you I guess you kick or punch and it registers a different inputs. I, I never quite understand how this would work because I keep thinking the power glove and what a crap show that was to control things. And the picture I have on the screen here. It's a dude doing a crane kick, a la, yeah. you know, Karate Kid. And it, it does not work that way. <laughs> it's not <laughs> at all. Like, I always got the impression it was like the hokey pokey, right? You put your left foot in, you move to the right, put your left, your right arm out, and you shake it all about, and you do punches. But like, it just seems like, what a weird device. Well, the activator was also an official Sega thing, if I remember correctly. It was, and, yeah. And they actually got some high-profile games to have... Uh, the activator in mind for some of the development. So Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, I believe, made use of it. And Oh, man. <laughs> Can you imagine playing a fighting game with this thing? There's no <laughs> well, way. Well, that was the idea, is to play fighting games with this. Oh, I That's how it. it was marketed. <laughs> like, I could see, like, the beat-em-ups, maybe, or... Maybe a shooting game if you're just waving your arms around to go left and right and poking your foot out to shoot. I just don't understand how this would work well <laughs> at all. So, um, let's see. Yeah. Activated games. While the activator will function with any Mega Drive title, a small number of games were partially designed for the activator and so specifically label themselves as activated. Best of the Marking, best yeah. championship karate, eternal champions, okay. greatest heavyweights, Streets of Rage 3. Okay, a boxing game, I could see that working okay. I could see that working pretty well, depending yeah. on how the zones are set up for sensors. In addition, Sega promoted support for Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter 2 Special Championship Edition, and Streets of Rage 2. Uh, Mega Drive and 32X versions of Mortal Kombat 2 also mention the activator by name, but the control scheme is identical to that of the standard three-button controller. (laughs) Thank you, Sega Retro, for that information. That's bizarre. Yeah, this thing came out in 1993 and was $80. And oh my god. That's a lot of money for the 80s. (laughs) That's a lot of money. Uh, apparently in the arcade, similar technology was used for Dragon Ball Z VRVS. Okay. Hmm. Does it say what the controls are like? Uh, the like activator... You're not actually doing karate moves in the circle. The Each section of the activator fires a beam of light upwards, and the player stands inside the octagon, 
punching and kicking to break the light beams and sending signals to the Mega Drive console in the process. So yeah, it's a it's a glorified gamepad. Um, yeah, where it's got it makes use because it has eight directions. So each direction is essentially a button: up, down, left, right, A, B, C, and start. Right. So that's it. <laughs> that's all it was. So maybe you kick, it's a, a faster re- signal of returning back to the base, and it says a different button press. So I can see how you have the four cardinal directions. Oh man, can you can you imagine buttons? Speed running like you hook this up to your PC and speed run Super Mario Brothers with the activator. <laughs> Anybody who speed runs like Sonic with this thing is a goddamn legendary hero. <laughs> forget oh, forget man. the steering wheel percent. I want activator percent speed runs for games. This is that wild. would be funny. <laughs> like is it is it the power pad I've seen people no dance pad people have done Dark Souls with the dance pad this is like that I think yeah I've I've played some Symphony of the Night with the dance pad it was not easy <laughs> <laughs> but I've you know done as it. you do play play a classic game on a <laughs> terrible ass controller on the mat on the floor oh my gosh the activator was jump into the action it says instead of welcome to the next level. <laughs> I want somebody to play Contra Hardcore with this thing. That's what I want. Oh no, that's a bad idea. Don't do it. You'll you'll not make it. <laughs> that's well. I love it. Like this is. I love how only four games were activated. <laughs> well, that's a, that's the running theme with I think everything we've talked about today is a lot of these only had very limited number of games that worked with it, which is such a scam in a way, right? You're paying a lot of money yeah. for these devices. $80 for the activator is not cheap for that era. And mm-hmm. you can only use like three or four games with it properly. And the rest are kind of just half supported. That's not good. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure official super Nintendo controllers were like 20, 25 bucks. Same for Genesis, maybe 30. Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. But $80 for a hexagon yeah, or was... an octagon on floor. This was not the era of sixty to eighty dollar controllers by any means. No, yeah, that's wild. But I mean, the activator is uh, probably I... like Sega's version of the uh, the power glove, right? It's similar technology, just presented in a different way. Yeah, but I just wonder in the Sega Sega boardroom, it's like guys, Nintendo just killed it with the U Force and the Power Glove back in the day. Let's <laughs> let's do that again. It's been it's been like five six years. Let's do something. Let's do that better for the Genesis. And they come up with this idea. It's just wild. Like I look at this and I think of virtual reality today and all the, the accessories people try and make for virtual reality to try and bring in more immersive input. But like this is this is crazy. <laughs> what a wild thing. The kid who had this, I I feel bad for them. I wonder like what about it may have sold it to them like they want to go to their parents and say hey mommy daddy i want the activator oh man uh, i have one more accessory i okay. think i didn't mention to you before so whenever you're ready go ahead all right so this one i did have and that's the sega channel i was actually going to mention something ones. along the lines of this so Okay, so I love the Sega channel. So like this came out for me anyway, it came out in my area near the end of life of the Sega Genesis. Um, I think I think two years before the PlayStation or at least two years before my uncle bought a PlayStation. Uh, He picked this up from from the cable company because we when you rented a set top box, they were pitching the Sega channel and uh, I got to use it for a good year. Uh, I don't remember what he paid for it. 
I guess the idea is every month you got a slate of like a couple dozen games and this would download it over your cable connection to the, the Sega Channel device and then you can play it on your Genesis. Uh, it's wild because there's a lot of Sega so, games I never would have given the time of day, like Humans or Theme Park, and I downloaded them from the device and played them and it's fantastic. Did the cartridge wipe every time you turned off the Genesis and you'd have to download the game again or did it maintain the game until you... How did that I work? I think it what I'm pretty sure it wipes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it wipes. It didn't save it. I don't think it saved a game. Or it might have saved a current game. No, you know, I think it I think it wiped it every time. So you had and to it took, download but it the took game like a few time? minutes to download the games. Yeah, but it only took a few minutes to download a game. Like some games are worse than others. I think there was a there was one month they had um one unreleased helicopter game that was actually quite fancy in the graphics. And that one took a took a little bit longer to download onto the, the device, but it was a cable internet connection, so it was not slow. It was pretty good. Hmm. But uh, I, I just remember the design, like the character, the graphics was all really neat. I mean, you can get a Sega Channel uh, ROM these days to check out the interface. Obviously, it will not work with games. Yeah. But I mean, back in the day, like this is revolutionary for me. Like the idea of access to games, like a Netflix style, before that was even a thing. This is pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, that was, I, I remember reading about that and thinking that was so cool and I was so interested, but. I was one of those kids who never asked my parents for much because, I mean, they'd, they'd get me games all the time because my dad was always traveling and then he'd come home and bring some games home. And then, yeah. you know, it was it was what I was into. It was that and ride my bike around. Like, <laughs> those were my things. So I had a lot of video yeah. games. Um, I didn't have a ton of other stuff like Legos and Kinects and all that. My friends had a lot of those things. So this video games were my thing. So when it came to video games, I wanted as much bang for my buck as I could get from the game Yeah. so that I wasn't asking for more stuff. So I didn't want to ask for a monthly subscription from my parents. I didn't do that. Um, I was one of those kids who never, who rarely asked to go on the major field trips or anything because yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, they got me and my brother a lot of stuff. We we were not well to do. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally hear you. No, and from my uncle, like I mean, he was single dude, right? I, I used to chill at his place every other week, and yeah, like for him, his age, he was not married, didn't have kids of his own, no pets. Like his thing was just video games on the side, right? He was one of those guys. He used to work in construction as well, so he worked his ass off, and he used to play games when he was on his off weeks. Mm. Uh, the single gen- the Sega channel to him appealed to him, I think, because. I don't think it was that expensive and you didn't have to buy the box. You rented it. It was part of the, the monthly fee, oh, okay. the cable boxes back at the time. Right. So he was already renting a pay-per-view box and, or cable box. And he just got this add on. And like, like I said, there's it's wild what games you could play on it. And it just like, it was a way to play games without actually renting them. Cause that's what he, we were doing. He was doing a lot as well. And so was I, we'd go to blockbuster and rent games and bring them home for a couple of days. This is like renting, but a lot cheaper. Cause there's a lot more games there that you could take advantage of. And it would change every month. There were, sometimes games would stay the same, but Generally, the games would pretty shuffle pretty good uh, each month. Like at least I remember being pretty good. And like Toe Jam and Earl is how I played on this uh, Panic on Funkatron. I never would have played that. Never would have even given the time of day. Played it on the second channel. Um, theme Park, which I love as a, a series. My first exposure was this version on the Sega channel. It, it, <laughs> obviously, not as great as the PC version. Did you get to play for, Mega Man for, back then? Uh, yeah, I did. So the, there's some exclusives uh, I got to play. So Mega Man the Wily Boris was on this exclusively, I'm pretty sure. I don't think that came out on cartridge over here. And then and, there was uh, that other game, it was bad. right? <laughs> My favorite game, yeah. I love talking about that on the podcast. Pulse Man. There it is. <laughs> Pulse Man's a fantastic <laughs> Genesis game that never came here, and it drives me nuts that it never did. It's a fantastic platformer. 
That's a and bummer. Our that only that chance was to play it. Sega Channel only. Mm-hmm. It's weird, right? Like the the only way we got to play it was Sega Channel, and then later on the the Virtual Console on the Wii got a copy. But I mean, for a completely done game that requires like no translation, it was effectively done. All they had to do was manufacture it and release it here, and they never did. And that's a shame. But it plays excellently on this device, and it again, Sega Channel. Um, so between that and Why the Wars was also a trip because I, I did love Mega Man, but I never owned any of them, I think, except for three. And I mean, that was Nintendo era. So this one, they had upgraded graphics, which is interesting at in the time. And you had like all six Mega Man games on it. I think it was. It was definitely a bunch. Really cool stuff. Uh, Sega Channel is an awesome device. And it's something that you can't, you can't use it today. It doesn't exist today. It's just a piece of history. So I'm glad I got to experience it for a little bit. Yeah. It's such a weird thing. Well, uh, what Nintendo had two things kind of like this that they never that, that never left Japan. So there was the yes. Satellaview, which is probably yep. more in line with what this what this is what Sega Channel is, where you could do stuff through a sort of connected service, right? And there were a few yeah, games. Yeah, the Satellaview was um, an actual satellite TV service, right? And it's you didn't download games from it. From my understanding, it was um. There's a broadcast schedule and you can only play the games when it was that time slot. Yeah. Which is the weird thing. So when you had like um, Legend of Zelda Stone Tablets, which one of our early episodes is on, you could only play that game a specific time each week. They had two broadcasts, I think, a week of where you had a chance to play it and you could only play it for a limited window. That's why that ROM was famous because there's a clock in it and you can only play it for an hour, I think it is. And different events would occur different times as that the game was broadcast. It's a very bizarre, <laughs> bizarre setup. They were treating it as sort of like a, a TV series in that way, right? Yes. Yeah. Like four episodes of, of Nintendo, uh, some tablets and each week was different. And then you could carry your progress between week to week in a way. Huh. Really cool. Neat tech. The idea of being able to play game a game only once <laughs> or twice if you're lucky during a week of a broadcast. And then once it's over, it's over. That's very yeah, bizarre that's to wild. me. And they did a few of that, right? Yeah. And like, I mean, today it is, you can still play it. Like there's people who have hacked it with community ROMs and have done their own translated voiceovers in the whole nine yards. Like it's really cool tech because it's satellite. You had audio, you had CD quality music over top of this. So Sega Channel didn't have any of that. Sega Channel was literally just the games. So Teleview was a lot more added on top. Well, the other thing that was kind of like the Sega Channel was, again, Japan only, the Nintendo Power kiosks and flash cartridges. So (laughs) over here, we think of Nintendo Power as magazine. In Japan, Nintendo Power was a flash cartridge service where you could take your cartridge into the store. And they had it for both Super Nintendo and later Game Boy. It started in 96 for Super Nintendo, started in 2000 for Game Boy, and the service lasted until 2007. So this service lasted 11 years. That's the longest time, yeah. Right. And and the fact that it started for Game Boy 11 years after Game Boy came out. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even realize it was a thing for the Game Boy. Um, that's, that's pretty wild. Wild. Yeah. But yeah, this was it was yeah. just you had a flash cartridge, you'd take it to the kiosk and say I want to get this game. And so you'd get the game for way lower prices than what the full release was because it was a flash cartridge. They didn't have to sell you the box, they didn't have to ship it or anything like that. So there's yeah. that. And you just you download your whatever games were available at the time onto your cartridge, and then you could play them. 
it's weird because like uh, in my teens, I guess, I used to see ads for third-party flashcards, right? We're famous for piracy back in the day. <laughs> I always wonder where that tech came from. Like how the hell how they come up with that idea of flashcards where you can download stuff. And it comes from Japan, really. It's just bootleg versions of the official flashcards that you used to use in the stores, kiosks. Yeah. But in this, you can put any you want on it. It's just wild tech. So I, I thought that was kind of neat. <laughs> Both of those things are slightly tangential to Sega Channel, but Nintendo never bothered bringing them to North America. They just left them in Japan. Whereas Sega was like, you know what? We could yeah. do this. <laughs> it's got to be somebody who will pay for it. I, you know, go ahead. To be fair, they, they thought that of a lot of things, but it's some of those things they actually made work. And that's, that's the sweet spot for Sega is when they got something right. Yeah, like when it comes to like the the merging of TV with games, like like the idea of like the game console being central to home entertainment, this is Sega Channel's like is an early try at that, I guess, over here in North America. We don't quite have this again until Xbox 360, maybe Xbox One, I guess, where they tried tying in like the cable stuff to the Xbox One, but I mean mm-hmm. that famously died really early. Um, you don't really see it nowadays, like. I mean, for the Wii and the Wii U, Netflix app, right? Bringing video to your console was a thing. But now, nowadays, the Switch is famous for not having a Netflix app. They don't bother. Um, so it's just like every few years, video games try to intersect with home media and TV watching and try and bring the, thing, the things together. Like well, I still days, remember the Wii U having the TV thing on it, the TV uh, remote control, right? Which is funny. Yeah, well, these days, I mean, they, they've kind of nailed how that works to a degree. You've got what xbox game pass you've got the uh the nes and super nes collection on the switch and apparently soon to be right. game boy so we'll they're, see th- they're <laughs> figuring this stuff out <laughs> slower than we'd like but they're finally getting to the point again to where they're making these sorts of things a reality where sega was yeah. doing it almost 30 years ago <laughs> Yeah, actually, that's a good analog for it. Like the idea that Sega Channel was basically having a games on demand service 30 years before the Nintendo Switch had it, right? Where it's just yeah. wild. Sega, it's, it's another example of Sega being way ahead of their time. Yeah. <laughs> to <totally>. their detriment. <laughs> Somebody's got to make these innovations. Somebody. Yeah. But yeah, that's wild. All right. Uh, wow, we were at almost an hour and a half, dude. I see that. <laughs> I think we've talked about everything except the Super Game Boy and the Game Boy for Genesis, or not the game, Super Game Boy, uh, the Game Genie for Genesis and SNES. But I don't think there's too much well, we can say. People kind of know what those are. It's, and if you don't, yeah. it's the Game Shark of its time. <laughs> well, I mean, it's before there's Game Shark, there's the, gen- the Game Genie. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, I mean, my, our experience was always, the, my experience was the Nintendo version of the Game Genie. I never really owned this, but the tech was always cool to me. So that's neat they continued it. But that's wild. Game genie. Yes. <laughs> All right. Those are fun to play with. All righty. Well, uh, thank you everybody for listening. And uh, where can they find you, Jake? Uh, yeah, I'm sick, Jake. You can find me on Twitch sometimes. I swear. I swear I'll do more. I'll, I'll stream again one day. Actually, my dream, I think, I'm going to do in the next few months is I'm going to start streaming games where I only get one shot to play through a game. And then after I hit the, the game over screen, I just quit the stream. So if it's like Contra <laughs> Hardcore and I die in 10 minutes, That's stream's that. over. I'm done. I think I'm going to do that. That's funny. Near, in the near future. And then just have like a 30-minute starting soon screen. 
just to really cement it in. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> this is the bullshit I come up with for Twitch. But otherwise, you can find me on Twitter at SickJake, S-S-E-J-A-K-E. How about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitch and Twitter, W-A-R-E-W-U-L-F-F. Or search it on Google, tell it you meant it, you'll find me. Awesome. And of course, you can find Press Me to Cancel on all your favorite podcast apps from Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher. I have a bunch of them. And we're also doing YouTube as for people walking. We're trying our best to not... We're trying to make sure we talk about audio things, <laughs> not just referring to the video we see in front of us. But if you are right. more of a video visual person, then feel free to check us out on YouTube. I, I have not decided on when to push videos to YouTube after the audio recording, because it does take sometimes a little bit more work to do. I'm trying to thinking maybe Sundays drop the YouTube version of an episode, but we'll figure it out. If there's a certain day you guys prefer for the video, whether it's the same day or later on, let us know. Um, definitely feedback is important for the YouTube as it's brand new to us. But uh, so far it's been fun to do and it seems to be working okay. So <laughs> if this type of thing you like, please let us know on our Discord or on Twitter. Otherwise, we are an audio podcast as well and uh, we're, we're always going to be there as well. So, all right, folks. Thanks very much and we'll see you all next week. Activated. Special thanks to The Last Ancient on Bandcamp for our podcast theme. Listen to more episodes on our website, pressbeatacancel.com, as well as feel free to like or subscribe at Apple and Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or anywhere else you like to listen to your favorite shows. Thank you to our supporters on patreon.com slash pressbeatacancel. Your money helps keep this ball rolling. As always, thank you to all our listeners. This is Ben. Cancel.